Hello, I'm Haya, and thank you for welcoming us into your ears. You've tuned in to Human Awareness, a podcast about what it means to be human and the various ways that that shows up for people. And hi, I'm Kate, and I'm so glad to have you here with us. Haya and I are representing the Human Awareness Institute, or HI for short, as we explore important themes related to love, intimacy, and sexuality. Obviously, our podcast can't replace our workshops, but we hope that in these interviews, you're able to catch a glimpse of who we are and what we do. Shall we get started with the interview? Yes. Come settle in with me and I'll hit play. Right. So we are here with another really exciting guest. Um, Frank, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us what pronouns you use along with where in the world you are at the moment? Very good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. My name is Frank Mondoze. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm speaking to you live from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Ah, wonderful. The frozen north. <laughs> yes, it started snowing here. Oh, my goodness. I grew up in Norway and I actually really miss the snow, which is a weird thing to say when you're stuck here in California, but it's a, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. So, Frank, you have a, um incredibly beautiful um, uh, and deep context for what you do with your life. And I think that would be a really wonderful place to start. Uh, what is your mission? Why, why, what gets you up in the morning? Yeah, my mission is really to support people to come into uh, personal power, whatever that looks like for them. Um, I have a, a passion for uh, supporting people to break through um, the stuff that keeps them small and less than and supporting people to actually connect with their personal self-worth and therefore step into the world uh, as the conscious creators uh, they were meant to be. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Frank. And you come to us from a familiar organization called ISTA. Do you want to share just a few moments about your work with ISTA? Yes. So ISTA is the International School of Temple Arts. It's been around for about 15 to 20 years. It started in uh, Arizona uh, by a man named uh, Babadez Nichols, who had a great passion towards supporting um, sex workers to up their uh, standards in the way they meet people uh, in doing the uh, sexual healing work. And from that, it turned out to be a program where people, regular people, not only sex workers were taking it, but regular people, because it, it, it the content was um, so profound that supported people really to come into their own and claim their sovereignty and access more greater love, power, and freedom, that we started to see all kinds of people just taking the program out of curiosity for their own personal benefit. And uh, Babadez went on to travel the world and he teamed up with other uh, founders of ISTA, such as Bruce Lyon. And together they worked at uh, creating this um, global organism. We call it an organism and not an organization because uh, it is really uh, flexible and free-flowing and it has a spirit of its own. And basically, ISTA's mission is to support people, like I said, to access uh, greater uh, love, power, and freedom 
through doing their uh, personal work and uh, moving past any wounds or traumas that they may have uh, collected along the way, uh, which limit them from really showing up as the divine being um, they were meant to be. I've been with ISTA for the last five years as a facilitator. I joined ISTA in 2012 as a participant and then went on a long um, apprenticeship program until I became a facilitator. And now I am a lead facilitator with the International School of Temple Arts. And typically, ISTA runs with three facilitators, one lead facilitator and two co-facilitators that hold the container for groups of anywhere between 20 and the largest group we've had globally was uh, 75. Wonderful. And so ISTA and HI have so much in common, and it feels like the three of us have a similar passion as well, which at the very root is about having people and their relationships thrive. And one of the topics that we thought about when thinking about season three was how people are relating to the constitution, the concept of marriage. And we're seeing this evolve over time. And Frank, I'm curious if you'd be willing to start to jump into this topic with me about how you think about marriage, whether it's a relic of the past or how you see it evolving in a future culture. Absolutely. It's a a topic that I'm uh, highly passionate about, actually. Um, I'm currently 42 years old, and I was in a relationship for 13 years, and half of that time was in a marriage. So I've been through the institution of marriage. Uh, I've done the long-term relationships, Uh, Nowadays, it seems like uh, 13, 14 years is a a highly successful relationship. When we actually Mm -hmm. look at the statistics, um, I was a while ago, I can't remember the details. I came across some statistics that said marriages that um, happened after 50%, actually, was it 60% of marriages after 1990? actually end in divorce or separation. So I like to use that statistic as the guiding point for this conversation, because if we were uh, statisticians or even aliens looking from above and watching this human race do this dance with marriage, uh, they would be questioning our uh, logic or or sanity (laughs) when they see that uh, over 50%. So we're actually having a failing uh, grade when it comes to the idea of successful relationships and longevity in marriages specifically. And so, yeah, I see marriage as a, a patriarchal institution, um, one that uh, started pro- uh, probably as a way to um, uh, guarantee ownership or uh, have a the man of the relationship guarantee where his offspring came. So the woman ends up becoming uh, basically a, uh, a possession of a man in order to guarantee uh, heredity and, and, and you know, the lineage 
Mm-hmm. And, and from there, if we fast forward, like that was like early, early days when we when we went away from being nomadic and started settling land, that was the cornerstone of marriage. And if we come to today and we fast forward and we see a post-sexual revolution and equality of uh, women uh, with men, I like to see, I joke about it, but behind my jokes, I feel that there's something serious there, that in the past it was about, marriage was about guaranteeing men's uh, possessions. And I would say nowadays, marriage is about women guaranteeing their, their possession of men. So like to um, guarantee that they have a loyal uh, a person committed to their union. But ultimately, I would say that, um, you know, when we look at marriage, it is there as an institution to guarantee both partners a fair contract when it comes to um, bearing children. So when I look at marriage, I look at doing it when we have the intention of bearing children because then legally we gain many rights in and around primary caregiver and secondary caregivers to guarantee that financially um, or legally that we are in a position, uh, not in a position of vulnerability, but having a foundational aspect to protect us in the institution. So bottom line, if we're not, you know, thinking of having children, that I would say that marriage is something that is outdated or more done as a tradition or a cultural rite of passage versus something that is actually needed in today's day and age as we watch relationships transform and the way we meet relationship transform. That is really interesting. So I'm, I'm trying to um, figure out if, if your kind of take on this is um, whether it's like, okay, this is not for me and maybe should, people should question if it is for them. Or are you taking a step further and kind of almost campaigning against marriage in a way? I'll give, I'll start off with a, a little personal story. When I was growing up, uh, my father owned a reception hall, an Italian reception hall. I'm Italian from um, uh, Montreal, uh, in front, coming from an immigrant family. And we used to own this like really big reception hall where people would get married there on a weekly basis, anywhere from weddings of uh, 50 to 80 people to grand weddings of 400 person receptions. And I spent every weekend of my uh, life, uh, my, my youth, um, watching people get, go through this rite of passage of marriage and just watch people get married and go through the whole celebration and then re- see how many of these marriages actually ended up in divorce. So there's a part of me uh, from a personal perspective that has witnessed the, um, the social phenomena of uh, people stepping through the rite of passage as, uh, as a rite of passage, as a tradition, 
But then when it, when it came to uh, maintaining it or sticking into uh, sticking with it, that it, it that became uh, more difficult, and uh, their commitment was more lackadaisical. And I would think that that has a lot to do with the fact that once upon a time, if we look back to the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, it was obviously a man's world. And it was like a woman was set to be at home and caretake and raise the children. And today's day and age, we see the absolute necessity of having uh, two um the two individuals going to work and making money. And so it seems like marriages worked uh, in the past because there was a dependent. Uh, one person was dependent on the other in order uh, to survive. And as we see today, like both partners um, are working and have a, a level of financial independence. So when there those things emerged where uh, in the past we would have coped with them or dealt with them because we were looking at the bigger picture of our security, our, our comfort, we would trade um, certain uh, pieces of our freedom, of our sovereignty in order to maintain comfort and security. Whereas today's day and age, uh, nobody really is depending on the other so much so that when bullshit happens in the relationship that they that we take it. And I would say that's a good thing. That's a step forward for uh, feminism and women, because nobody should stay in a relationship that is abusive, that is uh, not filled with love, that is uh, that doesn't. Uh, you know, split responsibilities 50-50 and whatnot. So I think it's so much easier to step out of relationship nowadays, uh, step out of marriage nowadays when there is a less dependency on the institution and more recognition that we are sovereign. So um, to answer your question, is it a personal thing or what am I st standing for? I believe, you know, I believe in the foundation of personal choice and freedom. So if an individual is really focused on, you know, being uh, in tradition, following their culture, or even following the, the, the suggestions of their religion that suggests potentially that marriage is the uh, one of the rites of passage of a successful life, I completely respect every individual's, um, you know, option to choose for themselves. From a personal uh, perspective, been there, got the t-shirt, uh, done that, and now I'm not going to do that again, personally. Um, I don't feel like I'm going to be bringing children into the world. And because of that, I don't see the purpose of uh, getting married. I, I'm seeing that there's a greater transition uh, in relationship towards um, greater sovereignty, more freedom. And if anything, I would like to see people having uh, relationships that are more authentic and uh, more, that have more depth. 
And when I speak to people, their their excuse or their reason for uh, getting into like long-term relationships or monogamous specifically and getting married is because they want what they call depth. Mm. And personally, I have come to a place where I have seen that depth has nothing to do with you know, your intention, but more to do with other variables. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I also actually, I reflect on something interesting. So I am um, currently going through a divorce and my uh, marriage of, of about a decade or my relationship of about a decade is transitioning into something else, which has been extremely hard but also in a way beautiful. It's a reflection of how we've both both changed as people. But I also know that Kate is kind of at the other end of that journey. <laughs> and so there's this interesting, uh, you know, you're about to get married. Um, and it's, it's really fascinating to kind of sit with why I chose to get married in the first place and why that came to an end. Mm. And maybe why, why you decide, why you are now deciding to get married, Kate. Mm. So yeah, Hyatt, you are completing a marriage and doing it with a lot of grace, I must say, knowing you very closely. And I'm at the beginning of a marriage and I wonder, can you articulate maybe the three needs or three desires or three beliefs you held, whatever, you you know, take it as you will. What was it in just a few words that brought you into the decision to get married? Yeah. I mean, my um, soon to be ex-wife and I have a lot in common, right? And we kind of set out on this journey that we um, thought was going to be forever and that we were going to be together for um, for the rest of our lives. And uh, at the same time, we are kind of victims of being internationalists, right? Um, and it turns out that just for pragmatic reasons, uh, tax reasons, visa reasons, international travel reasons. There was there were some really helpful things that unlock when you have a wedding certificate, mm. and those things were really important for us to be able to pragmatically live our lives. Um, I think, I mean, I mean, we were we were and are deeply in love, right? And I haven't really spoken out loud about this divorce yet, so I'm still kind of processing all of this in real time. But for me, what was really important was that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with with this wonderful woman. And, um, you know, in order for us to be together, having that piece of paper unlocked a lot of stuff. And so I think it's kind of it's a really unromantic reason to get married. Uh, but I think it was just it was just that it was a really helpful thing for us to be able to live the life we wanted to together by by being married, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Frank, what I, part of what I heard you say that ties into what I'm hearing Haya say is that, you know, if we slow down to really think about what marriage is, we may come up against all kinds of unconscious or conscious ideas of what it serves. There's the practicalities of it that are still a really real part of our culture. And but then there's all the layers of what it means in terms of, you know, becoming an adult and stepping over the threshold and and showing to your community that you're in some ways like making it work, right? Like you're you're a good person if you're able to have a relationship that lasts and you're stepping into a marriage. I think there's all kinds of beliefs that are wrapped up in it. And I'm just curious for you, Frank, like what you see the people you work with and maybe even for yourself do you see people reconceptualizing that and making it work for them? 
in a way that you have more faith in? Or is it kind of fall in the midst of falling apart at the moment? Yeah, I see actually the opposite. I see people uh, just, again, no judgment, but I just see people like doing what was done in the past and my family or my sister, or my, this is my story, like my siblings were older than me and I saw them getting married and my cousins and I'm like, okay, this is what we do. And you know, I married a woman that I was deeply in love with, that I had the commitment to um, put as a priority in my life and to make it work for a lifetime. But even myself and my ex-wife, when we committed to uh, getting in a marriage, we were clear that that did not mean that we were going to be sexually exclusive for the rest of our life. So myself, I was in like an alternative uh, relationship that was open to exploration and, and and those points of interest. And it still had it came to an end because ultimately, I think one of you said something around evolution. And I think that's the, the, the critical point uh, for the success of any marriage. It's the acknowledgement that relationships evolve, evolve. Who I was when I got married is not who I was 10 years after that and not who I am today. So I feel that couples who get married with the intention or the hope that they are going to freeze the, the joy, the pleasure, and the, the commitment that they have today are actually fooling themselves. So I would say whoever is planning to get into marriage should be going into the relationship with a clear understanding that relationships and people evolve. Now, if there is truly a commitment uh, to love, which I describe as, so my definition of love in relationship is supporting, contributing, and celebrating the expansion of the beloved. Supporting, mm -hmm. contributing, and celebrating the expansion of the beloved. That's how I've defined love within relationship because when I look to the time that I was in love with my ex-wife or any of the beloveds that I've uh, been in love with since, the authentic feeling that I have for them when I uh, am not coming from the egoic, personal, trying to get something out of the situation truly looks like me wanting to see that person reach their potential. Now, I'm all good for that in general, until it affects my well-being or my life. And I'm speaking as Mr. Mrs. Everybody. It's like, I'm okay to support and contribute and celebrate the expansion of my beloved until it affects my needs, wants, or desires. When it affects my needs, wants, or desires, then I get into this negotiation of them having to change in order to meet my requirements, in order for it to uh, be defined as love and me to be committed in this relationship. So ultimately, nowadays, when I'm meeting somebody in relationship, I use those, th uh, the, you know, supporting, contributing, and celebrating the expansion of, of the beloved as my barometer 
towards am I really showing up in this relationship as a um, as a um, individual holding love at the center, or am I trying to get something in order to fulfill myself uh, where I feel like I cannot fulfill myself individually or sovereignly? And this is what I what I hold people to. If you're going to get married, can you hold this peace? Because the expansion of the beloved sometimes looks like what we would uh, label as, oh, you're making a mistake. Or it looks like something that we have a difficulty understanding or wanting to accept. And it's in those moments where we have to be willing to say, oh, my beloved is changing or my beloved has different interests. And this, the relationship now is calling for evolution. Exactly like when we have children. So I often see like deep, passionate lovers, you know, talking about having children and then wanting to have children and then having a child and then seeing their relationship transform and then having difficulty within the relationship. Where, Well, for me, that's a rite of passage as well. When you go from being lovers to having a child, well, you've automatically accepted the evolution of the relationship to move into family. So family and the responsibility of family is not the same as the responsibility of being a beloved or lover in a passionate relationship. There's automatically an evolution. So my suggestion is, once we take that evolution, we must be ready to consistently and continuously evolve the relationship to what it's asking for now. If we're not willing to do that, eventually the relationship is going to break up. So what's the point of getting married outside of the social um statement that says we've made it as a couple or I'm a good person or look I've achieved this rite of passage which makes me part of a normal quote-unquote air quotes uh part of society so for me it's like bottom line if you're gonna choose marriage do it for the right reasons and do it with the clarity and the consciousness that if you're not able to be flexible and evolve with the times and the needs of the beloved, that it will probably uh, end. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, make more intelligent and mature uh, decisions is what I suggest. (laughs) Well said. Yeah. And Frank, I am so agreeing with you. And I I am getting married next year. My partner's name is Luke. And in preparing for our wedding, we actually were supposed to get married this year and pushed it back a year because of the pandemic. And that in some ways has been so impactful on my process of thinking about marriage because it it supplanted the wedding and made us look at what's really important. And for, for me, that was you know, our relationship hasn't changed at all, regardless of when we get married. We're, we're lucky in that we have a life we get to live regardless of whether we're married or not. And yet I, I was looking at what do I want to commit to? What do I want to say in my vows? What do I want to say to this person about a life we're going to create together? And then it hit me one day that the idea of trying to craft vows that would last a lifetime 
undermined the belief and value that I held and we held about evolving commitments and evolving agreements, right? Like I want actually a relationship where I'm able to come back to the table and create new agreements whenever needed because it allows for that evolution that you're talking about, right, Frank? And I think there's vulnerability in that. I think the idea that if we're really open to however we're going to change, there is this question of, will we each change in in ways that we're no longer on the same path? And I think the fear of that has us contract into this place of, well, I'm going to kind of try and control that and prevent it in some way. And rather than open to the possibilities of, well, if I practice coming forward to you and speaking my needs and being vulnerable about my needs and being open to yours, that there might actually be more possibility for the two of you to work it through together than had you never shared those needs at all. I absolutely uh, agree with that. And what I like to uh, share with uh, people in this course that I offer, uh, which is called uh, Love Without Limits, is the willingness to have difficult conversations. And this is what ends up happening oftentimes in a long-term relationship or a marriage, is that people get into their groove and when things fundamentally shift in the way they meet uh, the beloved or the way they meet the world, that uh, they hold back or suppress their truth in the fear that their truth is going to rock the relationship so much so that it will cause pain in the other or it will possibly lead to a breakup, which ultimately is not what I want, but I do want to transform something. And because people, bottom line, are cowardly and don't want to have those conversations because they fear that bringing this up might lead to separation, that they uh, pretend to be something that they're not, which is the first step towards um, creating space or distance between the intimacy of the relationship. And what I like to speak in uh, about in, in Love Without Limit is my definition of depth. So what you're speaking of is this commitment to uh, having those conversations, which is what I um, consider actually having depth in relationship. You could have people that have been in relationship for 10 years uh, and they did so because they want to be they want to go deep with one person yet the way they're interacting is highly superficial it's like not really um you know making any waves or rattling the cage and what i define as depth and therefore when you um you know accept this as the definition for depth you can see that depth can uh Uh, show up in a one-week relationship, in a three-year relationship, as well as a long-term relationship, a lifetime. But we have to acknowledge that, number one, going deep with somebody is a choice. It's a choice to step into that quality of relationship. Number two, it's presence. It's actually being there, being available. Number three, it's commitment. The idea of 
sticking in uh, with this relationship even when times are getting tough and there is a difficulty seeing eye to eye. The fourth piece is radical authenticity. So you cannot have death in your relationship or in your marriage if you're not choosing to be radically authentic, which means that something comes up in the relationship. You know that this is going to create waves, but you speak into it regardless because not speaking into it would just make the relationship either superficial or inauthentic. And that doesn't um, support death. And then finally, integrity, which is showing up uh, and, and doing what you say, make, ensuring that your words back up your actions. So regardless of marriage or not, or long-term relationship or not, I think what people are seeking when they are uh, committing to long-term relationships is um, a depth of relating that they could have with an individual that allows them to be seen and actualized through the relationship. The issue is that being in relationship often has the exact counter um, result, which is I am afraid to rock the boat or get in trouble or be told that I am wrong and therefore uh, be broken up with, which would ultimately uh, lead to me losing the reflection of love. And what I mean by that is uh, oftentimes we get into relationship or commit to relationship, not because this is the perfect person for us, but that this person is good enough. And when I say good enough, I mean that they're good enough because by you loving me, it tells me that I am worthy. So if we break up, if I bring up a conversation that risks the sanctity of our relationship or reveals some, uh, uh, an indiscretion that I did, well, then if you leave me, you will uh, affirm what I am afraid of in the first place, which is I am not lovable. So we play the game of staying in relationship and fitting in uh, perfectly in the eyes of the beloved, because if you choose to break up with me, I lose the reflection of love telling me that I am good enough, that I'm worthy to be loved. And ultimately, that is one of our greatest fears in relationship. It is being uh, recognizing that I am not worthy. And if you don't love me, who in, in the world will love me when you already know about my, my less than interesting um, uh, character traits? If you accept me in those character traits, it is going to be a hella long time before I meet somebody that I could get vulnerable enough, that I could be seen and then accepted. The fear of that journey of aloneness and not being lovable is good enough for me to stay in this relationship and not be uh, uh, radically authentic so that I don't lose my one and only reflection of love. 
Yeah. So Frank, I want to jump in here with you because I, when I look at this conversation in our culture today of what is marriage, why do we do it? Those of us who are willing to kind of question it and play with it. What I hear is this tension between just to make this really a dichotomous split, although I'm sure there's gray in between, but those who feel that the evolution of our culture around marriage requires us to cultivate kind of an inner independence, a sense of, I will only make my relationships work when I have achieved a sense of inner peace and autonomy, and I don't really need anyone else. And from that place, I can love you as you are. Versus a camp of people who are saying, wait a minute, what about attachment theory? What about the fact that we're social creatures and we need each other and we need connection and it's okay to be in an interdependent relationship so long as uh, it's honest and authentic and vulnerable as you're describing. So I'm curious how you see that tension and how that plays into where we might take this if we're trying to, quote unquote, achieve, you know, I think a sense of... um, stability, comfort, you know, whatever it is that we're trying to achieve through these relationships? Beautiful question. Um, so in a perfect world, uh, a world where we've all done our personal development work, we would first go through the rites of passage of clearing our childhood wounds and then our shadow behavior and then come into a sense of recognizing ourselves as the inner beloved uh, before we would enter into any long-term committed marriage scenario. Because then, like you said, we would be coming from a place of personal wholeness, integrity, and uh, and therefore when we are overflowing, uh, overflowing, uh, resourced. Uh, from our uh, personal source, then we would be able to meet in relationship and do a better job in being successful in relationship because we have done all the shamanic healing or the personal development work. But it's quite uh, illogical or rash to think that uh, most of society will do that before getting married because number one, our whole culture tells us that we are only successful if you meet a, your other half and you have this long-term commitment. So it's unreasonable. So the, the other side of that is that people are going to throw themselves in relationship uh, from the moment that they're in high school or you know university or whatnot. This is the way we are conditioned to grow up. It's like we want to meet. We are we are beings of uh, coupling, of uh, social, we're social beings. And getting on the journey with another individual is part of our natural expression of our humanity. So on the flip side, there is no better, faster way to recognize where we are limited or where we have work to do or where we have unprocessed trauma or wounds than when we actually get into relationship. Because it is being in relationship that we will uh, feel the the stress test of our uh, personal growth. 
And there we will see where we get hooked into our triggers by the behavior of our beloved. And we have to recognize that these triggers are only regressions into our youth of unresolved wounds, uh, emotional wounds and traumas. And ultimately, there's no better way of viewing these um, these unresolved issues than being in relationship. So it's almost like chicken or the egg uh, thing. It's you know, um, what what do we do? Do we heal ourselves first and then get in relationship, which is difficult to do if I don't have the reflection, or do I get into relationship and see the reflection and then do the personal development work? So ultimately, the answer is do what you're going to do. There's no wrong answer here. This is the journey of life. It is recognizing that we are imperfect beings going through life uh, on the journey of coming to know thyself. That's what, if we go into religious, it's like know thyself is probably um, one of the greatest religious teachings that we could uh, have. Because again, you know, the kingdom of heaven is found internally. Not that I'm very religious, but I like to go get these pearls of wisdom. And and it's like through knowing ourselves, knowing where we've been wounded, knowing where we uh, act out of lack, that will support us to be greater partners when we do that work and we clear those fears. Because ultimately, it is all coming from a fear uh, perspective of, I'm not good enough, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be abandoned, or I'm going to die. And the mystery of what's behind the veil of death is what literally puts us into freeze and accepting what we have in front of us as the, the, the best because we know it. So uh, I would say like, you're damned if you do it, you're damned if you don't. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. your intention has to be what do I need to know to be more aware so that I could show up as a, a being that is coming from the place of a well-resourced energy of love, acceptance, and union versus a contracted fear response uh, that leads into separation? I think that is a really beautiful place to, to wrap, uh, Frank. Um, I love how how clearly you you speak about these these subjects that are you know that a lot of people that i know are really struggling with and grappling with so thank you so much for your for your wisdom and insight you're welcome it's my pleasure it's a it's a topic uh, that's difficult to have like a black or white yes or no uh, type answer because i see us as trailblazing like we are in a moment in history where we are in a collective expansion. And we don't know what that expansion looks like on the other end. So it's going to be a messy time. And the greater capacity we have to coming back to love uh, will uh, um, support us to go through life with greater ease. And ultimately, I think that's what we're focused on as uh, humans in today's day and age is how can I consciously come back to love and keep my um, 
nervous system in a, a energy of ease and acceptance versus needing to control and fix the outside world as that is mm. going to often lead to uh, disappointment and uh, lack of uh, breaking down of expectation and suffering ultimately. Frank, I'm really appreciating that you're wrapping up this episode with the advice or the permission to let go a little bit, to explore and allow ourselves the space to be human. Because I think this is a topic that is so close to our hearts. And I think it is one in which can sometimes feel like there's a lot of pressure to do it right. And so I'm just, I'm really appreciating that uh, kind of nugget of, you know, there is no right answer here and let's all figure it out together. Exactly. Thank you so much for uh, wrap, uh, for summarizing it that way. Yeah. Thank you for coming on today, Frank. It's been a pleasure. So much. So I, I really appreciate uh, the time and space to talk about uh, this topic that I'm truly passionate about. And uh, if your listeners want to know a bit more about me, they could uh, go to my website at uh, frankmondose.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Human Awareness Podcast. For more information about the Human Awareness Institute or our workshops, please visit our website at hi.org. That is H-A-I dot org. As always, it was a pleasure to have you with us. See, See you soon. soon.